So, Kino, what can you tell me about, do you know anything about Satanism in Hollywood and subliminal messaging <laughs> in Hollywood films? I've seen yeah. different YouTube compilations throughout the years of, there'll be like the Eye of the Illuminati in like big blockbuster films and everything on a set is accounted for. Everything in a shot, people don't realize that I think. What do you know yeah, about that? Yeah, the Sen or whatever? Uh, yeah, so actually when I made my movie, uh, I made sure to put in a lot of subliminal messages. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, different pyramids, different sort of uh, Masonic imagery. Um, well, because I'm descended from a uh, line of 33rd degree Masons, and it's just something that I have to do. I, I couldn't get funding if I didn't put all the subliminal messaging in the film. Which is actually why most people do it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just like when you go to your investors in Hollywood and you're selling them the movie, they say, what do we get out of it? As in and like- give them children. What kind of subliminal messaging can we, you know, corrupt people with? Yeah, that's exactly. what you're supplying. Yeah, and so so on a subliminal level, on, on like a very low level, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, all, these, it's all these images, you know, um, Baphomet type images, stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, having having like uh, people in certain poses or, or things like that, you know, stuff that mm -hmm. your brain will notice even if you don't notice. And then maybe on a more surface level is product placement. You know, somebody drinking a Coca-Cola or, you know, something of that nature that, you know, you're watching the film in the theater and you think, man, I could really go for a Coke right now. You know how common is the Coca-Cola is a distraction from the real messaging. Well, it's it, it's there, right? Because because you want people to think that they're picking up on this stuff when they're mm -hmm. not. How common is that imagery? In I'm trying. I wish I could think of some examples, but I've seen again like uh, there's YouTube videos where you can search like you know Masonic imagery in Hollywood films, and there'll be all these examples even like old films, like from the fifties and sixties and stuff, there'll still be examples of that. Um, I mean, do, do you don't think that there's anything, do you think there's anything sinister about that? Anything unsettling about that? Are you serious that you put it in your own film? Like you're okay with it? Look, I'm always serious. I'm not somebody <laughs> who jokes around. I'm not somebody who goes on the podcast and tells jokes. Okay. I'm a okay. very serious man. People often ask him why so serious in fact. Yeah, you know what? People were asking me that a lot after my Joker video, and I really didn't get it because he never said that in the movie. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah, Common misconception. But yeah, no, I don't think it's sinister at all because uh, I'm on, you know, I'm on that side. I mean, why would I think it's sinister? What is that <laughs> side? I mean, that Masons. side, the, the, You're the, Mason the side, side putting these putting these images in films, you know? So why would I think it's sinister? Are you it. a mason yourself? Oh, well, you know, it's my whole family, basically. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can't exactly say much. Could you uh, rattle off a list of celebrities that are confirmed masons? I most mean, of most them, if right? not all. Most you kind of, of have to be. list of celebrities that aren't masons. <laughs> Keanu Reeves, maybe. That's why Mel he's Gibson. so weird. Mel Gibson. No, Mel Gibson. I don't think um, Mel Gibson is a Mason. 
You think he's no. just crazy? Joe Rogan? Sorry, I don't think Joe Rogan's a Mason, is he? Nah, he might. No. Did you, you think see so? that Spotify move? You think that was his Masonic like play? Yeah, Very getting getting you know just, just it, it's it was a way to censor Alex Jones, right? Subtly, because moving to Spotify, they didn't they didn't move any of the Alex Jones uh, interviews. They didn't move any of what Alex Jones. Who else was it? Stephen Crowder, Miley Yiannopoulos, Tim Dillon. I think even, even Jordan like Peterson. Really big list. Even Jordan yeah. Peterson. Yeah, it was a really big list. It was like 50-something episodes. What was it, 54 episodes? I, I don't know the exact number, but I remember seeing this big list, and I was thinking with some of these guys, like, these guys aren't even, like, that controversial. Like Tim Dillon. You know, honestly, like, like, Tim Dillon Spotify not... fucking disgusts me. And if you're listening right now, you can listen in on Spotify as officially because we have our podcast now uploaded to Spotify. Do we? I don't know. I just thought it'd be funny to say. Is that our Masonic play? It's all of Masonic play. <laughs> okay, so so hear me out. Uh, I, I want to talk. I want to. I actually really want to go deep into certain films with you. And I'm not talking about these bullshit artsy films. Sorry, I don't watch them. I don't fucking care. Not that I don't care. I just don't well, have just time. Watching okay, the pomegranate so, movie. So, so you told I should, me. You, you okay. told me like a few weeks ago that you just don't watch movies. Okay. In order to get me to sit down by myself to watch something for two hours, it better be damn good. I have better things to do than sit there and just watch something. So I don't waste time watching. Like, like there are people who are like, oh, yeah, I just every night I just like watching like, oh, bad films, good, uh, decent films. Oh, this one's a B movie. No, I don't waste time watching B movies. I just don't care if it's with friends. We're hanging out. We're drinking. We're joking. Great. That's hilarious. That's a good time. But by myself. Not so much. But what I want to say is, we'll get back to that in a second. Um, here's a great example. The Truman Show. Okay. Oh, this yeah. is a movie and The Matrix. There, there's other w movies like this where the forget about the subtle imagery of the Masonic shit that might be or may not be there. The more interesting thing to me is that these movies, they tell an allegory of what we think is our reality. You know, mm -hmm. metaphorically speaking, and even literally in some ways, the Truman Show is very applicable. It's like there is this yeah. veneer placed on uh, uh, on society through media, through through culture, where voyeurism. people voyeurism people think that there is some sort of uh, people. There's a drape over pe there's a there's a curtain over people's eyes. What do you what do you know about that, Kino? So, um, as you might know, I have a video on the Truman Show on my channel. I've seen it. And, yeah, and I go, I mean, I, I, I go as in-depth as you can in 15 minutes, but um, how I actually see the Truman Show is, as I talked about in my video, it definitely kind of plays into this, like, uh, like the Baudrillard philosophy of the simulation simulacra and uh, how, like, modern society is, like, copies of copies of copies of copies so so it's the idea is now it's it's been a few months since i like read baudrillard so this is me just sort of like taking this from memory so i might be for anyone who's like listening and gonna comment that i'm wrong about something it's been a little while Lock since up. i read them uh but anyways so the idea is like you have something that's the original right like you have the original way of living. And then the media, in, in the case of Baudrillard, makes a copy of it. So it's like you have a normal American 
home life, right? Say in like 1940, like late 1940s, early 1950s. And then you have a show like Leave it to Beaver come out. And Leave it to Beaver is simulating that American home life, but it inherently is not the same. Now, what happens when a show like Leave it to Beaver releases, right? Is that the American home life starts to emulate the, 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 the people who are actually living the start to emulate the depiction and they become a copy of that copy. And then the next show that comes after that is going to be a copy of that copy of the copy of the original. And this just kind of keeps going on until what until the reality that we're living is so far distanced from the original reality that we're we're living in a simulation it it's just as real as the world around us it's not like we're in act an actual computer simulation but we're living in a simulation created by the media because of how we've been copying it uh depictions of ourselves and then yeah. you know being influenced by that so the truman show plays on that idea by putting him in an actual um it, like by putting him in a show that his show is a copy of reality but at the same time you have to think about when the truman show is happening i i forget like what year it takes place but it doesn't take place in the 50s even though it's supposed to be this sort of like 1950s, 1960s, sort of like American utopia, it doesn't take place then. So what is it actually copying? It's really what it's really what the Truman Show, what his whole existence is based on, are the sort of popular, like the popular culture idea, this sort of utopian idea of what life was like decades ago. So it's nothing like what life actually was like in the 50s. I mean, obviously it's not, and, and, it's, and it's all fake. It's all a veneer, and he's in this Hollywood set. And it's, it also kind of plays in this almost, um, uh, what's, what's the term? I'm, I'm looking for the word where it's like uh, solipsistic. It's a sort of solipsistic idea that is, you know, that the idea that you're like, you're like everything around you is created for you. Yeah. Now in, in Truman and you know, like in Truman's world, everything around him is created for him and it sucks. Like, because everything around him is, because it's created for him, it's, it's, it's created to be his prison. Um, and it makes it, 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 it makes a very interesting, um, dynamic between Truman and Kristoff. Kristoff is the guy that runs the, the whole thing. Kristoff is using this to play God. He's he's using it to play God and to play father, right? And um and Truman is is also playing a sort of deity figure, a deity of the small screen. People have a sort of religious obsession with him. You know that they they make their bars named after the Truman Show. People buy into all of this stuff, and it was another thing that Baudrillard said, which is that in a postmodern society, uh, our values because because postmodernism is about deconstructing tradition. It's about deconstructing where we come come from. 
And with that deconstruction, there can be a loss of values, a loss of identity. And with the loss of identity and values, we have to supplement it in some way because we really can't exist. We're seeing that with, play out right now. Yeah, people. We can't, yeah, we can't. We can't exist without it. And what Baudrillard said is, people will then identify themselves with what they consume. Oh, 100 um, percent. That's happening right now. Yeah, and you see that in the Truman Show. I mean, you like it, it's whole part of the Truman Show. People identify themselves by the fact that they watch the Truman Show. And people mm. identify themselves now by the fact that they like to dress, you know, dress up in a fursuit and go to, you know, whatever convention that they want to. No, it, it's, or, it's interesting because uh, oftentimes film is ahead of like good filmmakers are ahead of the curve on this kind of thing. And if you look at Truman Show, I pull, I'm pretty sure it came out in 1999, which is the same year Fight Club came out. And these are very similar and the Matrix. messages. Yeah. And, and The Matrix. These, Truman like, there's was a lot of overlap. That's uh, pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a film buff like <laughs> yeah. you are, so. But same era, same era. That's the point. Yeah. It's, it's the yeah, end of the 90s, right? It, yeah, it's all around the same time. It, it was really interesting that all these films with similar ideas were all coming out because if they were to come out, right, and I, I note this in my video that this came out almost the same time as The Matrix, but you know that they had to have been in production for years before then. Yeah. Um, and Which they probably the didn't even. were there. Yeah, and it's just like those ideas were mulling about for a while, and it just Mm -hmm. it's just like you know it's like it just exploded in this powder keg of all these really great films that came out in the late '90s. What the thing is that like now it seems super applicable all these messages of materialism, consumerism, and identity, whereas I feel like in the late 90s while it was still a strong and resonant message it was less obvious significantly compared to now yeah yeah and we can and we can even like talk about that in terms of just the film landscape of the 90s in the late 90s you didn't really have well for one you didn't have the marvel cinematic universe mm-hmm. um which I, I like. I think the MCU has changed a lot of how we consume film, and movies that were original films were still doing very well, and a lot of blockbusters were original films. Like look at Titanic, that was that's not based on an IP, that's not based on anything, and yet it's one of the like best-selling movies of all time. The '90s was still the era of original movies. The it 90s was the, was the era where indie movies actually started getting in the spotlight. Yeah, like you had movies like Clerks, um, Slacker was very early 90s that Tarantino, did very well. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, Tarantino, Gus Van Sant, um, yeah. Whit Stillman was doing very well in the 90s as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you had um, you had a lot of indie films coming up. Uh, films were still sort of star based. Like people would go see movies because a certain actor was in it. I mean, if I think about 90s and like stars that were box office draws. I think Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. um, he was in so much in the mid nineties. I mean, he, he did what dumb and dumber in the mask in the same year. And, yeah. um, yeah, it, it, you still had the box office draws, but there was still a big emphasis on originality in blockbuster cinema. Uh, but starting, but when we get into the two thousands, it starts to go more towards IP. It starts to go more towards brand than originality and uh you know and now people go to see a movie because it has a logo slapped on it 
they go to see a movie because it's Marvel or it's Disney or, you know, it's something of that. I mean, honestly, because it's Marvel or it's Disney, like, <laughs> like let's be honest, people don't really. Which is sad because the films for both, I associate both of those companies with making bad movies. Yeah, it's two sides, yeah. right? Because some people just totally check out when they see a Disney or, or Marvel, you know, MCU universe uh, movie. And then other people, it's very like, um, it's like, it's a big bubble, you know, and it's a very popular, it's a very big, uh, expanding bubble, but there is definitely a swath of people like me and Sam, I, maybe you Kino as well. Yeah. I'm just not interested in, I don't think they're even necessarily bad movies, but it's just, it's this big cultural, uh, uh, like movement almost. That's that's what the, uh, the MCU and, and similar types of franchises have become. And I almost think to some level, when I see people posting about memes about them or uh, talking about these movies, it's almost like it's a new, uh, this might sound a little bit hyperbolic and it is, but it's like a new religious doctrine. It's like a new, it's new moral, uh, it's certainly characters that people look up to and idealize in a certain way. These superheroes, as like, for example, it gets memed all the time on Twitter when people cringily do the Wakanda forever thing. Ruth Conda forever. Ruth, Ruth Conda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things like that, where it's like this uncanny, it's like, wait, oh, you. some people are taking these films way more seriously than you or I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I've actually said this for a while that the whole like MCU is sort of like a pantheon of... Uh, of Greek gods, but without the morals of the Greek myths, yeah. it's 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 the religion without the base. It's a religion that's hollow, really, at its core. Postmodern, as you said. <laughs> Postmodern, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a religion. It, it, it's all the trappings, right? It's all the trappings of myth. Uh, it's all the sort of surface level stuff. I mean, you have these great men and women, you know, that sort of exist above humans i mean if you think about I me mean, marvel i mean they even have thor i mean it it's mm-hmm. it's fair it's very obvious with thor but the the thing with marvel that that makes it more so than i think something like batman because batman what's his his power is that he's rich um yeah. you know batman is is separate. i mean that's iron like, man too right yeah that is iron man but at the same time um most of the marvel stuff it, it's sort of like uh um they got this power and now they could do this, but a normal person is not going to be really like in yeah. this, in this position. This is like a very special person or something like that. And, and I mean, yeah, I know that there's origin stories sometimes that you, they do come from normal backgrounds, but it, like in the MCU, it definitely kind of distinguishes between here are the superheroes and here's everyone else sort of thing. And yeah. And so they exist almost like Greek gods or demigods. Like, Maybe you could argue that like Black Widow is more of a demigod than a god, but someone like Hulk Whatever, or yeah. Thor is a god. I mean, they exist in that sort of way, but what morals can you really extract from any Marvel movie? You uh, know, what's interesting is that I actually think that, now I'm, I'm not an expert at all on comic stuff, but it seems to me that the DC superheroes at least Batman <laughs> have more uh, like there's more lessons to it and there's it's just a deeper more rich yeah. uh, story usually and what's interesting is that I happen to know that DC Universe 
is actually literally tied to Greek mythology. Like all of like all the superheroes have some sort of tie into a Greek god of some kind. Yeah. You know, you brought up uh, yeah. Batman. I, I want to make a point about that. Something I've noticed culturally as well. I haven't even seen the the Joker, the latest uh, that that movie. Um, but one thing I noticed is that the Dark Knight, when that came out, you know, it was this very big blockbuster, popular movie. Uh, and actually, I had an ethics class in high school, and my teacher made us watch it because there are actually interesting kind of moral questions to be asked with the Joker and his motivations and the Batman and his motivations, a lot of inner conflict there. And I think in that movie, it was almost like it's a dark setting and it's a bleak outlook, but you're still rooting for Batman. There's still hope in the end. There's still a light at the end of the tunnel kind of outlook. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where I feel like that's almost where people were culturally, too. And they were rooting for Batman. But now, interestingly, with the Joker, I see a lot of romanticizing the actual Joker. And and uh, it's no longer as morally ambiguous. Now it's more like I'm tempted to say nihilistic. I haven't seen the movie, but I can just I've absorbed so much from people posting images of the Joker, identifying with the Joker. I mean, even you, Kino, I guess have been in that position. Um, yeah. But do you see what I mean? Like like that progression from the Dark Knight to the Joker. Of course, they're different directors, different movies, different films. But th there's a almost a cultural shift that occurred there, I think. Yeah, but the Joker of Joker is a much different character than the Joker of the Dark Knight. And that actually caused a rift in the whole like comic book fans community or something i'm not a part of that but i have some friends who are and i saw them arguing online over this and uh um yeah and people are like mad that the walking phoenix joker they're like that's not the joker that's not how he is and blah 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 because because really what what the movie joker is is when he kills so spoiler spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen okay. joker and i think the only person listening to this who hasn't seen joker is greg um if you if you if you haven't seen it mute for the next uh 15 seconds try to try to yeah. make the point quickly okay okay 15 <laughs> seconds go go so the first three people he kills he kills in self-defense and what that does is it sparks riots in the city and that kind of take after him right he he, he didn't he doesn't do anything for any kind of political reasons he just gets scared and uh but the movie is now non-spoiler talk the movie is really talking about the lack of mental health uh facility like especially with men you know like mental health problems in, in men and how it can go so unseen and not taken care of and it can lead to self-destruction and also a culture of um a cultural a culture of cruelty and that's really what the in the movie Joker, that's what Arthur Fleck is rebelling against is this culture of cruelty because he is in a sense in the movie, he is made to be like a 1970s version of a lol cow in a way. What does that mean? Yeah, do you mean I actually by that? am. I'm going to very reveal myself as a boomer here, but I actually have no idea what a lol cow is. OK, yeah. Can you explain to us? OK, okay. thank God. You're also <laughs> <laughs> OK. So a lolcow is um, it maybe 
Locale is just like a person on the internet, like somebody who would who would have like a Kiwi Farms thread made about them. A person okay, like Chris Chan. Yeah, like Chris Chan. Yeah, basically. Oh, uh, okay. Someone you're yeah. like milking. For, I get it. So I get it. Yeah. Or something. Okay. Yeah. I think it's funny because I think I remember hearing that term like literally over 10 years ago and I just recently have been hearing it being brought up more and more. But yeah. 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 It, it's like an older internet term. I, I almost feel like a boomer for saying it because I'm like, do people <laughs> even say this anymore? Like, I, didn't... I think they do. It's back. <laughs> it's making a comeback. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, so wait, who's the locale? Yeah. Uh, the, the Joker, Joker is the locale? Joker, okay. yeah. Arthur yeah, he's Fleck. the locale in the movie. Okay. Yeah, so he's kind of rebelling against like this culture of cruelty and really his character doesn't have much to do with the other like it's a very like internal film yeah. about like about being disaffected. It, it's his character in the film is is not the same character as Joker in the Dark Knight. Joker yeah, in the Dark okay, Knight is something yeah. completely different. Yeah, and I, right. I like that about I like that about the, the two movies that it's it uses a similar character who's chaotic and who's maybe nihilistic or something like that but he uses it to much different means to comment on different things like in the dark knight the joker is really there to pose these moral dilemmas to batman so the joker's there to ex to get batman to He's basically an yeah it, batman's supposed to batman's development is in how he chooses right how does he solve these issues that how does he solve these dilemmas that Joker poses him? That's really Joker what Joker does in that film. And then he's completely different in Todd Phillips's uh, adaptation of it. I like that. You know, like I like the fact that it's different. I like the fact that neither of those films are necessarily too cookie cutter. Um mm -hmm. because especially like the last ten years where each Marvel movie feels the exact same. Yep. Like, it's just like beat for beat. I'm just like, I know what's gonna happen. Yeah. End of act two, something's gonna, it's like they're gonna lose at the end of act two and then act three begins and they're gonna get, they're gonna yeah. get their gumption together and they're gonna come in for mm -hmm. that final battle and they're gonna win and then blah, blah, blah. And so then there's boring. gonna be the so post credit scene. Yeah, it's like you know exactly what's going to happen. There's never that much sense of danger in the Marvel films. Whenever they have a character die, it's all they they bring. Like at the end of Infinity War, and then it's just like they bring everyone back the next movie. But you knew that they were going to bring everyone back the next movie. It was like so at the end of Infinity War, it's supposed to be this like big moment, right? But you know, you're like, no way are they killing off Spider-Man. Like no way. They just, yeah. it, it, and especially when it's like they announce like the sequels yeah. before <laughs> Infinity War comes out, and it's just like they should have just okay, ended it at Infinity War. I, I they should have, but it, you know, <laughs> but watching it, it, it all feels empty. It all feels weightless. You're just like none of this yeah. matters. You're watching going through the motions. Yeah, the worst thing, the worst thing I can feel when I'm watching a film is like none of this matters. Like, why am I even watching this? Yeah. You know, like if I have to think to myself, why am I watching this? Then usually I, I just turn it off if I if that yeah. question comes in my mind. So that's how I feel with a lot of MCU. All of it feels weightless. And Disney. Cookie cutter. And Disney. And when Disney, I was watching yeah. the Star Wars movies, I last Star Wars movies, a movie I saw in theaters was the second one of the newest trilogy. And holy shit, I was like dying to leave the theater. It was like after an hour, I was like, oh my God, please just end soon, please. My friend went for a cigarette break. I'm like, I don't smoke, but I'm going with you. <laughs> like, I just need it to get was, the fuck out of here. It's so boring. 
Yeah, I did not. If you took up I didn't like the last Jedi. The movie. What did you say, Greg? I said it would have been funny if you took up smoking because of the movie. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I took up smoking because Star Wars was so bad. <laughs> and, you know, okay, so, real quick, I was going to say that I think the Star Wars, the newer Star Wars films embody that postmodern thing you're talking about so perfectly yeah. when you compare it to yeah. the old ones because you have, like, it's just... The first one is like a essentially reboot. I mean, that's been pointed out before. The first, yeah. uh, the Force Awakens. Okay, so whatever. That's like the first basis, just a copy. And then mm -hmm. the second one is totally postmodern of like, kind of like uh, a little bit. Nothing matters. Your past doesn't matter. Let's go a new direction. Let's try something new. And then, much like most people who think that way, I guess it ends up kind of amounting to nothing because in the third film, which I didn't even see, but I've heard all the spoiler talk, it's just like a bunch of uh, fan service and like fantastical fan fiction. Yeah. It, it, and, and the third and film was like... thing you were saying too before about the, the Truman Show. I forget the name of the philosopher yeah. already, but the Baudrillard. copies of a copy. Baudrillard. Yeah. Is th that is literally a copy of a copy. The, the yeah, trilogy. Yeah, it literally is. I mean, like, uh, the, the Last Jedi is basically a reverse copy of empire strikes back it's like mm -hmm. if you took empire but you just sort of like put made it here's suck. like like here's <laughs> the beginning and here's the end and you just switch them because yeah. it ends on it ends on like this i mean it's salt in the last jedi but it basically ends on the on the ice planet or you know whatever with the yeah i see kino there backwards yeah backwards <laughs> yeah yeah basically um, and it even has like the whole thing where she goes down in the cave and discovers herself just like an empire. It, you know, it's about the training, but in this one, she doesn't really get any training from Luke or it, it, I didn't like, it. I, it, there's, but there are so many, uh, there are so many good videos on YouTube about why it's bad. Like Vito so, has uh, a good video on it. Um, if we're entrenched in postmodernism right now which I, I think it sounds about right uh with our culture where do you guys think we're headed i mean what is the next logical step after this to me if i could just pose my thoughts on this so far it seems like we're kind of regressing into um some sort of infantilism or something like even even the mcu even star wars um Will, will appeal to like the whole the whole like soy boy thing where it's like oh my god the fucking lightsaber you know it's like yeah exactly like that's kind of <laughs> it's like regression you know like we've hit postmodernism over here and then now it's like regressing into like kind of elementary predictable formulaic simple stuff where do you guys Rustic. see that going um yeah like but it makes sense right um so take now we were living in a postmodernist society back in the sixties or seventies, but maybe it was like the beginning of the postmodernist postmodern society. I actually think we're moving into something new. I'm not a philosopher, but I do have like friends who are heavy into this, and I've heard some things get like tossed, some words get tossed around. I've heard uh, like metamodernism. That's something I've heard, or neo romanticism, or something like that. I like to think of myself as more of a romantic thinker um, than any kind of, uh, but like, but anyway, so talking about the infantilization, if you go to, it was Oki, um, you know, he told me the other day if I wanted to black pill myself to look at like box office, like 
movies that were like box office hits like year by year and if you go back to like 1970 you see that it's like the exorcist easy rider five easy pieces like all these great movies were box office hits and these are great movies that are incredibly mature i glink have you seen the exorcist no neither neither me nor slush have seen it actually yeah, okay so the exorcist I've is a war one, but <laughs> it's a horror film but it's an incredible and it's a very mature film about a priest in a crisis of faith. That's really what it comes mm. down to. And I mean, it's really well done. I mean, it's an excellent film. And uh, so you look at these movies back in the 70s, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was a huge hit. Great. Um, and, uh, um, and then you go to the films now and all, all the big films now are Marvel films or Disney movies, you know, Star Wars or Iron Man or Avengers or something Sonic like that. Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog, which I basically have seen. Basically a Marvel movie. Yeah, it basically is a Marvel movie. But um yeah, no like so you but you take a film like Five Easy Pieces, that's not I mean by today's standards that's slow moving and it's um maybe a bit opaque in what it's saying and it's it's very adult. Um it's one of my favorite movies. Jack Nicholson gives a great performance in it. But the Jim Carrey of the seventies. <laughs> he, you know, I I could go on about Jack Nicholson. I've I've done a lot of reading on him, but um, yeah, no, you take a film like that. It, it it's it feels to, like when I watch a film like that, I don't feel like I'm watching a movie. I feel like I'm reading a book, if that makes sense, because. There's so much subtext to it. There's just so much going on in it from that really gets me thinking. That I don't get with uh, an MCU film. You know, I just don't get it. Um, and yeah. I th I think that when you have these, when you have a very strong identity, when you have a very strong set of core values, and you don't have to rely on pieces of media to, um, you don't have to rely on pieces of media to give them to you, but maybe the media can make you question things or make you challenge it, then the media, the movies or the, the books or whatever you could can or whatever you read can be more challenging. It can be more mature. But if you don't have those set of core values, if you don't have that strong identity, those movies have to give it to you and they have to give it to you in like the most simple, easy to understand sort of ways and it, it is like the, and it's like making movies for babies it's like uh you know it's, and as i said but what morals do you actually get out of a marvel film like self-sacrifice i guess i mean i guess that is a thing in there but um i think uh a good example though of that i think you can offer nuggets of wisdom or even uh gold mines of wisdom in a simple form uh, oh, I'm not debating it, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Avatar, The Last Airbender, which I'm seeing for the first time, almost done with it, um, per Sam's recommendation, is a, re is a show that does a really good job of doing that, where it's like, it is simple on the surface, but the values and the morals that it conveys are actually very deep and very applicable to your life, uh, to a lot of people's lives. Um, mm -hmm. So it can be done well, but I think with, with the Marvel movies and things like that, they're they're not really, yeah, you're right. They're not really putting an effort There's no incentive that. to add those sort of nuggets of wisdom and morals when you could just make a bunch of money off of just 
superhero. Yeah, blah, blah, it's cynical. Blah. It's yeah. it's it's cynical. I Guardians of the Galaxy tried to touch on that with the whole father son dynamic in the second one, but it really fell flat because it was just the the script writing for it was just not good. There's um, too much nostalgia bait in in that series. I think they harp yeah. a little too much on that. It's kind of charming, but it it gets old. Yeah, opinion. yeah. I mean, nostalgia bait is that's also a big problem. Is it, it's. Of course, we could have a whole podcast, a whole series of podcasts on just nostalgia in general. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you get various just sort of like bland morals from from the Marvel movies, Uh, stuff that honestly isn't is sort of baseless is it's not anything I I, it's not anything I'm interested in. You know, I like the movies that, that. you, you know, like the Masonic like, imagery. Yeah. I like the Masonic I imagery. Exactly. And you know what? I haven't seen any in an MCU film, and I'm a little bit pissed off. Because they already succeeded. They don't even need to anymore. Now it's like, yeah. okay, we've already brainwashed you guys. Just take, here you go. Here's your little. You guys have no brains left. Here's take this so, exactly. movie. So, so you, you, you know, the MCU is the cold play of movies. Yes. Because it is the same thing over and over again, yet everyone listens to whatever the new song is and everyone goes and sees whatever the movie is. And they do it because they know that the next thing is going to be exactly like the last thing, but just a little bit different. Yeah. That's a good example because Coldplay is like, it's I, I, it, it kind of... They're likable. They're charming. They're they're. It sounds nice, but there really isn't depth, in my opinion. To yeah. Play. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> Coldplay was my very first concert, so I do have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart. As a kid, I went and saw Coldplay with my dad, but um, you know, but like as a as kid, every white it, person has. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As every white person has. I guess I'm but, not. But you know, white. it's like as a kid, it's me neither. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'm the only white guy. Nobody here, wants right? to be white anymore. Okay, nobody wants to be. Well, white. I mean, Kino and I are yeah. both Russian Jews, so <laughs> Russian I'm Jews are Jew. woke. I'm not, a, not Jew. a Jew. Uh, someone no. told me you were Jewish. Wait, who told you I was that Jewish? From. Was One that Tom? Your, Listen, uh, someone someone was in my chat on stream yesterday saying that you're a Jew. <laughs> You're Wait. exposing Kino, and he doesn't want to be coming out as a Jew yet. Okay, um, that's so not sorry. Okay, you can so show your I'll, circumcision on Twitter later. I'll break. I'll break down my. Now I am circumcised, but as are you know most Americans. Yeah. Funny Same. story. So, so when I was in Colorado last year, it was right before VidCon. I was staying in Colorado. Um, I was writing a western and like living in this tiny apartment in the mountains. And it was great. And yeah, it was awesome. Um, And actually on the first day of summer, it snowed, which was surreal, especially since I grew up in Florida. Um, And uh, I would go to this pub at night to go hang out. Like all the people in this little town would kind of go like just chill at this like Irish pub. But there was like this crazy guy that lived in the town. And I remember he proclaimed to us one night, he just like walks into the group and he goes, you guys want to know something? I was circumcised twice. <laughs> and it grew back. That, that led to like a whole discussion. Like how does one get circumcised twice? And <laughs> I was like, did they mess up on the first time? No, they did it fine. <laughs> I'm like, do you have a dick? 
Like, they just cut it off the second time, and you're just calling it a circumcision. Yeah, that's going to make it into a script at some point. I was, I was just I going to say, this sounds like a character that will be in a, video, in a movie. <laughs> yeah, I was just flabbergasted by this guy. It sounds I was like, like oh. the impetus for the final fight at the end of a Tarantino movie. Something that just comes out of left field and starts like a bar fight that ends in the city burning or something. It's like yeah. Bill with the Anakill Bill. Did you know that some man can be circumcised twice? Twice? Exactly. Points of the camera. Oh, you know, gun. you know what actually it would be better like the bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that would be better. It's like You should cast Sam as the as yeah. your next <laughs> Yeah, you want to be the bear Jew in my Inglorious I could be the bear Bastards. Jew. I'm pretty hairy. <laughs> that wasn't that Eli Roth in the it movie. It was Eli Roth, yeah. Yeah, the the horror director. He's, I remember he, Tarantino like really liked Hostel when it came out. It was supposed to be Adam Sandler. Oh, really? What? That'd be sick. I would love Tarantino yeah. and Adam Sandler to that work together. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Adam Sandler. Was, I love Adam Sandler because Punch Drunk Love is one of my favorite movies. Oh, that's a great film. Yeah. I love Punch Drunk Love. Very, it's good from a from a filmmaker's perspective. Like when when you can appreciate the cinematography, it's it's on point for sure. I uh, yeah, I watched that movie like when I work out unironically, like I just put my <laughs> my like phone on the treadmill and I watch Punch Drunk Love. That's one of my like running movies. That's so um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so instead of listening to music, you just watch movies. <laughs> You're just yeah, sitting watch... there like lifting weights or something and then he's like, <laughs> he needs I... me, he needs me, he needs me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so I either like watch movies or sometimes TV shows now. I, I'm gonna have to give away my keynote card here for a minute or someone's gonna come and take it away when I admit that I like watching Family Guy um, <laughs> like modern Family Guy or, or no like seasons like uh, actually I don't care for the first season of Family Guy that it was very rough but like seasons like three through eight um, I watch when I like you know like I'll, I'll or I'll listen to it you know just to hear Peter's voice and uh, yeah, Joe, soothing, huh? Joe just going, "Hey Peter," which hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. <laughs> so in my server, when people found out that my name was Peter, I couldn't get onto VC without somebody popping in and doing a Joe Swanson impression <laughs> for days. It, I, yeah, I like I had to stay away from VC for a while to cool off because. Every, I would just go into VC and be like, hey, let's, let's talk. And then everyone just constantly for like 15 minutes, hey, Peter. And I'm like, okay. That was now, actually... Let me, let me ask you something. Yeah. Um, can you, we're talking about how movies in this postmodern society that we're living in now have gotten so basic and shitty and like the Marvel, basically like the Marvel formula and how that's just been a thing yeah. that other, other filmmakers are doing. What kind of movies do you want to see being well, made? There are movies that I do like that are coming out. It's just that they're not having the same box office box office success as they would have in in decades like the seventies or eighties. They're just not doing as well. Um, right. So the 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 audiences aren't really seeing them. And if I was to if I was to point to one movie in recent memory that I'm like, I want to see more movies like this. And it's not necessarily like 
The Lighthouse. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew you were going to say Lighthouse. Yeah. It's such a good movie. <laughs> but it's it's not necessarily like I want to see just, uh, like, I don't, I don't want to see a Lighthouse 2. I don't want to see any sequels. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to see films aping on it. But I want to see films that are able to, like, there is a special energy to that movie where I watched it. And when, and, and this is when I know I love a film. I watched it, and when the credits hit, the th- first thing I wanted to do was watch it again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, like, I gotta watch this again. I, I think I watched it three times in two days. Wow. Um, I definitely I, also like went on YouTube and rewatched a bunch of scenes as many as I yeah. could find. Yeah, I, I just when, like when, it, when a movie to me is really good. The sign is if uh, I'm immediately like looking up the plot i'm immediately looking up like more details about it the idea Mm -hmm. the original ideas behind it uh and a few a few movies like the ones that make you think and like make you questions like hold on like i still need to figure this out i love that kind of stuff yeah and and, and there are movies that like so some films from like last year that you know i i really liked in that capacity was like that and ad astra i really liked ad Mm -hmm. astra um and uh, from before that, Good Time and yeah. Cold War, the Pavel, Pavlovka- Pavel Pavlikovsky film, uh, Cold War, which is great. Phantom Thread as well. I really oh, yeah, love Phantom Thread. I mean, I love PTA in general. Yeah, PTA. I I don't think there's a single PTA film I, I don't like. I'd say that my favorite of his is still The Master. That film movie. just That film just always... It, like, you know, it's always... Honestly, for me, it, it is always a toss-up between There Will Be Blood and The Master. Um, mm-hmm. There Will Be Blood is just like this incredible tour de force, but The Master is, I mean, for one, it's it's seeing like two of the best actors like ever just being on screen together. You have Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. Um, but it's also like, uh, it's just, it, it's one of those films that it's just so beautiful, but there, there's so much going on like un- right under the surface and, yeah. it's, and you can just feel it just like sizzling up yeah. for the entire film and you're, you're really kind of racking your brain. Yeah. Can we and- go back to 90s film analogies real quick because I, I want to present an idea and I have no idea. I've never seen any of the films you guys are talking about. Okay. <laughs> we're just gushing about PTA right I now. I think I need to. <laughs> yeah. um, we can get back to that but I, I want to I pose an idea here. So with The Matrix, right? I think it's particularly interesting, although this idea is presented in the subsequent films, the sequels, which aren't very good, but the idea of the simulation run in the Matrix and mm-hmm. where Neo is is the, the one and then he breaks the simulation, essentially. He, he kind of saves humanity uh, and saves Zion. That, that has played out a number of times before. That same cycle has played out a number of times before. The architect presents this to him in the second movie. Um, yeah. I feel like that the, the whole idea of cycles of culture of humanity of civilization of cycle, going through cycles. The more I look into different, maybe your Masonic knowledge can shed, shed some light onto this. But the more I look into uh, kind of lost civilizations and, and mythologies, things like that, it does seem like humans and our civilization is has been on a cycle. And maybe in this cycle, we've advanced in a new way, in a way where we have computers and screens and internet but we're certainly not the first advanced civilization. And there's always been catastrophes, uh, great cataclysms in life uh, or in throughout the story, human story. Um, 
And I think religions tell the story, the Bible, the story of the flood, these mm -hmm. kinds of things. Do you well, give any credence yeah. to that? Do you have any insight into that? Well, you know, I think that life is a series of death and rebirths. The fact that resurrection is such a uh, big idea throughout a lot of cultures, you know, is there's an understanding that life comes out of death, that um, blood is spilt. <clears throat> excuse me, the blood is spilt to create new life. Um, and so I, you know, that does go into the cycles. I don't know if it's necessarily like there was a civilization way before us that preceded us um, that maybe was more technologically advanced than we are now. But it, it, I mean, if, but if you look at things, right, you look at like an empire, you know, the Roman empire lasting for however long it, really lasted for it. And a lot of empires sort of follow under the same, almost like a like trajectory trajectory. Yeah. The same arc, they all have very similar arcs and, and you could really argue that the American empire, I mean, like let's call it what it is, but the American empire is in that age of decadence. Like we are in that late stage yeah. age, soy age, the soy age. Yeah. But the late state, the late stage age and, all, everything that you're seeing now, I mean, very similar things happen at the end of the Roman Empire. Very similar things happen at the end of many other empires. And, you know, it, in, it it's almost just, it, it's almost like, you, you know, I, I think of this, like, uh, do, do groups of people almost function like, like one person where it's just un, in certain conditions, certain things will present themselves or certain people will act in, in different ways. I, I don't know. Like it, it's just weird to think that, um, that you can have this graph, right. That describes the rise and fall of empires and how people act in different periods of the time. And not only is it applicable to us Americans, but it was applicable to ancient Romans. Yeah, like that's yeah. a really weird thought. And the greatest I, films, the greatest stories and the greatest films, I think, are the ones that tell the stories that have been true throughout time and really transcend these cycles. Uh, and this is this is something like the idea of archetypes that Peterson talks about and Carl Jung and others, um, you know, like the hero's journey, the, the hero's tale is an idea that will always do well when when told well. Um, and this yeah. is why I love because you can extract so much meaning from that. And it's always applicable all the time to humanity. Um, yeah. Like my favorite film of all time is Lord of the Rings because it tells this, this like the story of the hero's journey and the story mm -hmm. of the suffering of life and overcoming it despite being in such a underdog like position, I guess. Um, do you think that that's something like that is missing in today's environment with with movies, like I guess with MCU, you don't, you kind of have like, I think you have a copy of that. You have like a version of yeah. that, but it's missing a lot of the grit. It's missing a lot of the, the substance, you know, the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. So actually back here, I have an Epson laser printer, but it only prints in black and white. And honestly, the, the quality isn't, isn't too high. So it, so what an MCU film is like is if I took something very colorful and like with a lot of detail, and I copied it on that. And what I would get is a thin sheet of paper um, 
with no color and a little bit lower resolution. That's kind of what the MCU feels like mm-hmm. to, to myth. And I, one of the yeah, very watered down. And what I liked about the lighthouse, going back to the lighthouse, is that it incorporated a lot of myth. It incorporated Greek myth. It incorporated like mm-hmm. nautical myth and tall tales and things like that. And it had a very mythic story to it. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like even though these guys are living 120 years, 120, 130 years ago, something like that, it you can immediately just like feel it. I mean, I mean, the lighthouse is about. I mean, you can think it's about a lot of things. You can think it's about the the wanting for enlightenment or the wanting to look at God. And I mean, that is a very kind of mythic idea, right? The fact that to look at God is something that you is like the ultimate thing to do, but you'll die when you do it. And, uh, you know, and that's a film that I think incorporates myth very well. I'm a huge fan of incorporating myth. In fact, when I write, um, so I write two different kinds of scripts. I'll do like sort of realist kind of stuff you know things that i like very influenced by uh 70s movies again like one flew over the cuckoo's nest or five easy pieces or things like that things that are trying to be like socially realist um but i also the thing i really love writing are my sort of mythic stories i read a bunch of myths i read and i also read joseph campbell and yeah um the power of myth hero with a thousand faces um and i've read I've read some Carl Jung. I've read a bunch of Nietzsche. Uh, I, I, I mean, I was a, I, I studied theology in college. I, I read a lot of the uh, um, philosophers and stuff from the, like the 19th century, and, and I've read a if lot. You of could men. make uh, your one your most ideal movie if you had all the money in the world. Let's say, uh, or maybe you want to be low budget with it. What would be? You could be as general or as specific as you want. Do you have an idea of like what your, I guess we could all give an answer for this actually, since we're all interested in, in filmmaking and stuff. That's why we're on YouTube. That's why we make videos that I think we try to be impactful, try to be, you know, meaningful beyond just watching it for one day and turning out the next, you know, piece of content. Yeah. What, what is a, the ideal film for you So to make? Yeah. So, I mean, like what I say now is going to be different than when I say in five years, because uh by the time i make my next film i'm gonna say like oh i don't want to do that kind of film anymore you know what i mean it's that's just kind of how i am um but what i'm really interested in now and what i've been writing is uh i have this idea like and maybe this is a bit too getting a little bit too heady for how i should be thinking about it but I, i don't know like i think that if you're writing a script you really need to think about it from all the different angles I am currently writing a trilogy of Westerns. I have one script completely done and polished. uh, And then I have two scripts are kind of like half done, right? And I'm writing these Westerns, but they're not like your typical Westerns. I mean, the first one actually is a noir Western set in the 1950s in West Texas. But each of these Westerns is a sort of play off of... um, play off of myth or of the Bible. So like the noir is a take on Dante's Inferno, but set in West Texas. And then I have another Western that I'm writing that is a sort of take on uh, the book of numbers, uh, Sam. (laughs) Oh, from the Bible. (laughs) From the Bible, yeah. I actually don't know what the book of numbers is. Uh, Yeah, it's it's in the, uh, yeah, it's in the, uh, um, the Pentateuch, you know, the first five 
the first five chapters it's about moses in the mm. in the wilderness um okay Westerns. you're saying sam because it's because i'm jewish yeah. <laughs> yeah you know real quick real quick i think I've, I've talked with sam about this but i think there is almost like some significance to numbers to recurring numbers there's almost like some sort of code oh, yeah. or source code in our reality no. i swear i see we all have our re- gematria calculators bookmarked on our google chrome pages no, yeah but- but you think I he, see he, recurring he, numbers and I see patterns and numbers and I don't exactly know what they mean, but I just, it's just uncanny coincidences that I've had. And Sam has been there for many of them. Actually, I've been there for a lot of them for some reason. We'll have a whole why. podcast on that one yeah. day. But. <laughs> but, but think about this, like the, the numbers that the, that the Bible like espouses are like the good numbers, right? So there's like three, seven, 10, 40. And like these numbers really like, sometimes when you're reading it, yeah, they actually mean three or seven or something like that. But a lot of times they're figurative numbers meaning complete, right? And you think about three, uh, trilogies are huge. A lot of our films, a lot of our media is in three acts. Like a lot of what we do is in threes. We count down from three, like it's such a huge number. I mean, same with seven and same with 10. Like these numbers are still almost like ingrained in us as being these complete numbers. Um, what does that say about trilogies often being like the third movie is almost always the worst one? Not always. <laughs> uh, almost, I said almost. I covered my tracks. Uh, I'm gonna I'm, no. Okay, Godfather. Return of the King is great. Exactly, and it's not yes. the worst right. one. Um, but Same also the other trilogy. Scream three, terrible. Godfather three, but Scream's not. Terrible. Scream's not a trilogy. Well, I guess now it isn't. <laughs> but they talked about it in the movies. You know 3. the kind of documentaries <laughs> I like real quick are. I don't know. Have you seen uh, Icarus, Kino, or mm-hmm. anyone? No, so, I've heard of it. It it won the Oscar, right? Yeah, I yeah. love. And this is I've had a taste of this when making videos, where you make, you have an idea of what you want to make, right? You go out, you set out to make it. And in the case of Icarus, it was this guy, the, the guy who was making the film, was trying to document the Russian doping program. Uh, uh, no, no, sorry. He was trying to. Yeah, he was trying to document. Uh, doping and cycling and how easy it was to cheat, how much it affects the performance. And then he ended up uncovering this massive conspiracy of the Russian doping program when it came to the Olympics and how they just duped everyone. They had this complete fake system so that a lot of their athletes were actually doping. It was a huge scandal. And the documentary took him there. Like he wasn't planning to do that. And it was the coolest thing ever just to see from this filmmaker's perspective following the story uh, and it got it got super crazy at certain points, but yeah, that's the best. Is like when the story takes you, the filmmaker, somewhere completely unexpected. And I don't, I guess you can do that with narrative writing too. But uh, it's so nice yeah, to be be along for the ride as a viewer and see yeah. that unfolding. You know? Yeah. No, definitely. Um, that happens actually probably more than you think in documentary filmmaking. Uh, there, there have been a lot of documentaries where I recall the filmmakers saying that they they went in looking for one thing and just how life went. They got something. Isn't that what the original Catfish documentary started out as? Yeah, and I think that's also how that Dear Zachary Dear Zachary documentary oh, started that out one as dark. That's yeah, dark. I don't know that one. I'm not familiar. Um, yeah, no, there's plenty of documentaries where it's like they, they go in looking for one thing and there's that discovery, but that is the story of the documentary is that discovery. 
Um, and and that is the maybe that is the hard thing about narrative, but with documentary, there is this like it can happen, right? But it is exactly maybe that. it is lightning in a bottle. Like it's something that it is like you're. I mean, you're a Vegas man, right? You know, it is a gamble. Like you don't yeah. like. It's also possible that you go into the story, and it's way more boring than yeah. you think. It's but like a it's jam also- session for music. You know, you don't know where it's going to take yeah. you. Sometimes it might be boring, like that drum circle idea. You know, but maybe it'll turn into this great harmonious amalgamation of ideas that just oh yeah. man, it's amazing. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that maybe you can't really get narrative and narrative you know like how you shoot movies is 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 you don't shoot them in order you know it, it's like maybe on day one you're you're shooting the final scene and midway through you might be shooting the beginning like you shoot it all yeah. out of order because you gotta like except for tarantino he shoots them in chronological order and then edits them to not be chronological <laughs> Yeah, and Nicholas Winding Re- Nicholas Winding or Winding Refn, um, he he shoots chronologically. Also, I believe really? like there there are some directors who shoot chronologically, but um, most of the times, yeah, most of the times it's it's like okay, we have this location for three days, so let's shoot everything that happens in this location. We have this actor for this many days, so let's shoot them out. You know, like let's get all their stuff. And, you know, and so because of that, because of all these scheduling restrictions, you can't shoot in an order. I mean, I, I guess like the, everyone wants to shoot in order, but you have to have a lot of money to, to be able to do that. And that's just, honestly, it's just not, not feasible even in, even for big films. So it's harder in a narrative thing to be like, wow, you're shooting on set. And all of a sudden there's this discovery, but you already shot the ending. (laughs) You know, so those discoveries in narrative, they can happen, but it's it's smaller. It's discoveries within a scene. It's maybe discovery of a like an improv a char- acting or something. Yeah. yeah, it's like a discovery of a character of a character's emotion during the scene or, or something like that. Something that's not on the page, something that's felt on the set and something that's expressed yeah. that you couldn't really conceive of. And it is smaller um, than that kind of discovery, like with Icarus, you know, Icarus, at least his whole conspiracy and everything like that, mm. that's not gonna really happen on a narrative. That's not, you know, where you have a script and you have a scheduling of all this sort of stuff, but um, it does happen, but to a smaller extent, you know, for different things. So, you know, I mean, like there are, like whenever you're creating something, it's always a series of discoveries. Well, that's what, this, know, that's what a good podcast is, right? is when you, that's why I try not to plan too much. And even for this, I didn't plan at all. I just know that you're into films and you've done film reviews on YouTube, but it's a good conversation is the same exact thing where it ideally will lead you to some new discovery that you didn't even plan on getting to. And those are the most exciting, interesting conversations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, just remaining curious while you're creating. You know, it's it's like uh, um, not boxing yourself in and allowing every knowing having a vision is great. Like if you have a vision, like I want it to be like this, but you have to temper that with flexibility. And I think that having a vision plus being flexible is what leads to some of the greatest art. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. 
like this podcast. It's the having a vision and then being guided on your own yeah. naturally from that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kubrick didn't do shot lists. He would go on set and he would find the shots that he wanted to do. And he was very open to shooting something in a different way or taking advice mm-hmm. from somebody else. And now nobody nobody doubts that Kubrick had a vision. It's so obvious when you watch his movies, but he was very collaborative. He was very flexible. And even he, Kanye is like that now. Yeah. I, I don't love Kanye. I love Kanye. My, starting with like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, this is a very collaborative project. At the same time, you, it's very clear that there was a vision yeah. for the album. Oh, yeah, and that's a great so Yandy, album. Yandi's good, mm-hmm. too. It's unreleased. Um, but that turned into Jesus is King. So maybe that wasn't the best outcome of a spontaneity. <laughs> sure, yeah. There's know. such a thing as being <laughs> too spontaneous and uh, abandoning something that's already good because yeah. you're too caught up in the moment. It goes both ways, but it, it's exciting nonetheless. Keeps things fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well I think I think we're I think that's a good place to wrap up. Alright. I actually was I, I was gonna ask a couple more things yeah. actually. Because I, I was I wanted to know because um, you're so in the in the industry of <laughs> Glink like, is film hungry. industry. <laughs> yeah well I was hungry yesterday. This is uh I mean I don't know. He he knew when we were recording, so I don't know what to say. But I, what, anyways, what I wanted to ask you about is because you're so in the film industry, uh, and I just wanted to know what you if you think there's any crossover with YouTube, or if there ever will be in the future, or if just being on YouTube is a totally different path that will never really intersect with film. No, I don't from, think it's in general. I don't think it's a different path at all. I and there hasn't been crossover because the people who run the industry are boomers. That's the right. thing. They don't. The, the, there hasn't been crossover yet, or I'm actually there has been crossover. Bo Burnham went on to direct right, Eighth right, Grade. Right, true. And Independent wise, there is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like Hollywood is is currently making YouTube stuff. I guess in, you know they have Brie Larson has an account or something like that. Hollywood tried to do that with Kibi or Quibi, however you say it. I don't know, but. They try to make like a Hollywood version, like Hollywood, Hollywoodized version of YouTube, and it really failed. I've never because... even heard of that. Exactly. About Quibi. Quibi is this Quibi. app that makes shows, cuts shows down to uh, like short versions of themselves. Yeah. It's like TikTok huh. for TV shows and shit. Uh, which, it's by so the way, awful. I hate that stuff. I don't like bite-sized. Um, well, I shouldn't say I hate it. Actually, I don't. I think there's potential in that medium, actually, but I don't like the landscape of it and what it kind of looks like now from what I've seen. I'm talking about yeah. TikTok and very short things. And also I will I don't like the short stuff either, but I want to keep the question on topic. Um, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, so Hollywood doing this Quibi it failed because they couldn't because having these produced short form stuff doesn't connect with audiences at all. Not right. like YouTube, it's real people. You mm-hmm. could maybe you could maybe argue, you know, not so much. I mean, is Matt Pat a real person? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, the, it's performing reality. At yeah, the very least. It, it feels a lot more real. Um, yeah, you know, even uh, as much as I don't really like him that much, even Philip DeFranco still makes it look like he's in his bedroom. Um, yeah, it feels personal. 
Yeah, and so I think that I think that there is going to be a sort of a great merger. There's going to be that singularity, right, um, between YouTube and the industry at large. And I think that it's probably already happening because of coronavirus. That's my guess mm. is that it's already happening because of coronavirus. People are watching. Look at a the lot late night YouTube. show guys. They're all trying to act like YouTubers, and I think it's failing. Yeah, they're so inauthentic. I mean, you know what yeah. it's like. Real quick, it's like, uh, it's like established streamers getting a VTuber, which is what my next video is about. A VTuber <laughs> avatar made of them. But it's I wonder like, who he's talking about. <laughs> well, it just doesn't work though. It's like you're trying to. Oh, now like. You're trying to make us believe that now after you're established, after everybody knows what you look like, what you act like, it's not the same appeal. Just like um, a late night show host uh, isn't like Trevor Noah putting on a T-shirt and filming from his room doesn't have the same charm or the same authenticity that, you know, just some YouTuber who actually yeah. is that, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I think that like if you, so I, I work in a pediatrician's clinic and when you talk to kids and you and you talk to them about um celebrities that they like a lot of the celebrities they like are youtubers now i've seen a lot of weird youtube videos because of the kids that, that show me the stuff that they watch and a lot of the stuff i'm like oh god people are like kids are watching like James this Charles, you know I, yeah 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 or today it was that youtube family that uh Daddy it was one of the no, no, it's called that YouTube family. Oh, what? But it's uh, just like those like I hate YouTube families. Yes, <laughs> same here. So I, disconnected I, from that whole sphere of YouTube. It's just the whole child YouTube, abuse. Uh, the YouTube families. That is Truman Show in real yes. life. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. Yeah. It it's is. disturbing. So I think it's really disturbing. It's exploitive but, or something. <laughs> but anyways, about YouTube in the industry. I like how I'm taking my channel is and maybe like this is my purpose in life. You know, maybe this is like what I was sent here to do um, is I would love to see a lot of people have used Vimeo for um, for like more like serious film projects, but you mm -hmm. don't get any traction on Vimeo like unless you get a staff pick or something like that. And still the numbers are not near the numbers you would get on YouTube. They're a fraction, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now the quality on Vimeo is better, so I understand it. I, ha I have a Vimeo Pro account myself, um, so I'm a Vimeo do. boy, but um, YouTube is just, you have so much of a bigger audience, and I don't see why, like, I don't see why you can't make movies for YouTube. I don't see why that, that has to be something that isn't, um, isn't viable. I think the, the the biggest hurdle would be the algorithm because the, yeah. you would have to be someone who's established, has money. Like you wouldn't want to be just a regular YouTuber and then invest all this time and money into making some kind of cinematic experience and then well, it I just mean, gets no views. That's any, that's any movie though. Making movies I guess. is always not, a risk. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a hurdle. I mean, it is a hurdle, yeah. of course. But, but making movies is not a... Making movies is not. Oh, you're a saying like game. the actual film industry? Why don't they ever do something that's specifically for YouTube? Well, yeah. So how I kind of see the film industry going from this point onwards, right? Is that there's going to be the big movies, there's going to be the big tent poles that I'm not going to be interested in at all, right? That cost two hundred million dollars to make. But who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe after this whole like people not wanting to go to the cinemas and they're them not really making back that money, 
maybe they'll cut down the budgets. But the the movie that's going to be doing the best is the movie that can make its money back just by streaming, right? So mm-hmm. you got to have your budget probably below ten million. You got to have you know what's considered a low budget. Which if you gave me one million dollars to make a movie, I, I I don't even know what I, what I would do with it. You know, I'm like that's so much money. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's people think, oh man, one million dollars to make a movie that's not that much. Have you ever seen a million dollars? You know, like, come on, (laughs) like, that's a ton of money. And, uh, you know, I made my film for 75,000 and that was more money than I ever saw in my life. Right. And, and I still ran out of money by the end of it, but I didn't really go over budget. So, I mean, that's like, I was able to, I was able to make, to make a 90 minute movie for 75,000 and shoot it on film. It's completely possible. Um, where can people find that? Or what is the, what is the just well? Like, it's I'm it's curious. it's it's currently playing at, uh, in a virtual film fest. But by the time this podcast goes up, um, it'll be out. It yeah. But I'm gonna be I, I'm gonna be releasing it as soon as I possibly can. It's just that um, every time. What is it called? It's called Wasted Hours. Wasted like the, Hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of a actually sam it's probably a movie they'll be up your alley it's kind of like it's just about people hanging out it's a hangout film um but just like kind of having real experiences and trying to find meaning Ooh. within a just a day a day in the life um, i am interested wasted hours. yeah <laughs> I'll, check that out. I'll check it out but it sounds um, very relatable just by the title yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah and i mean i shot it on 16 millimeter film i I took out a loan to get seventy five thousand that I'm still paying off, and uh, I I didn't have any stu- student college debt, but I mean it doesn't matter now. I've, I'm living like I am. <laughs> like who cares if it's for student things or if it's for making a movie? It's it's all the same. I owe I owe the bank yeah. money, but um, 